keep your place there in Jonah chapter 1. So I want to start off, if I may, with an Arkansas illustration. Can I do that? Now, I love Arkansas, but I'm always nervous to start off with any illustration that leads to Fayetteville. You know, when I was in college, I went to Bible college in Arkansas, and I would preach in these little Arkansas churches. And I remember one Sunday I was preaching on Mark chapter 5 where they, they, they took the demons and they cast it into swine. And right as I was preaching that, all the people in the congregation started calling the hogs. And I just, I just had to run. I just had to get out of there. It's like, Jesus, help me. That really didn't happen. But anyway, that would be a really good story, though, wouldn't it? And you could probably see that happening in some of the places over there. But uh, now here's my Arkansas illustration. So if, if you've ever driven to Fayetteville, and, and I know they've changed the roads over there. I've not been over there in a while. But used to, when I was in college and we would drive to Fayetteville, they had a road called the Pig Trail. And when you, you rode the Pig Trail, you understood why they called it the Pig Trail. Now, I think they've renamed it now because Arkansans are like, wasn't well, that all our roads, the pig trail? But, but they used to call this one the pig trail. And people would drive just fast and furious on this highway that curved and would bend and was going all over these mountains. And of course, there were people who died. So normal signage would not get anyone's attention to slow down. So what they did I don't know if it's still there, but they created this huge sign that they put over the entrance to the pig trail, and they had numbers on the sign that they could change digitally. And the sign would say, this many people, and then you would see the numbers lit up digitally, have died on this road in this year. Please slow down. And when you'd get to that sign and you'd see the numbers, and they were always pretty high, I mean, astronomical for one road, you'd slow down because you needed something that grabbed your attention, that got a hold of you, that shocked you, that made you say, hey, maybe it's a good idea to actually pay attention to what they're saying because I don't want to be one of those numbers. Well, let me ask you this question. Does God ever send anything to us to get our attention? Of course He does. Now, not everything that God sends to us is meant to grab our attention. Not everything that God sends to us is meant to be judgment or even necessarily sanctification. It takes discernment. Sometimes things just happen. Sometimes they happen because of a cause. Sometimes it's because of things we've done, and sometimes it's not because of things we've done. It's, it's really hard. You can't just blanket statement that and say, everything that ever comes that grabs my attention is God trying to send me a message. But you can discern. You can discern. And today, in our text in Jonah 1, I want you to see how God got Jonah's attention and how he may be using similar things to get our attention. You see, when we think of a storm in the Bible, we think of a boat being tossed, and we think of a man asleep. Most of us would instantly go to Matthew 8, 27, where Jesus is in the boat asleep, and the storm is tossing, 
And the disciples are afraid. And he stands up and says, peace be still. You remember that story? Where in Matthew 8, 27, the disciples say, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Now, normally when we are talking about storms and boats and Bible, we go to that. And we have songs about it, how he calms the storms, and we talk about it in our life. Jesus is going to calm the storm in my life, and we quote the verse, peace be still. But here's what I want you to see from Jonah, who also has a boat, also has a guy asleep, and also has a storm. Same circumstances. You see, sometimes he calms storms, but sometimes he sends them. Sometimes he calms storms, but sometimes he sends them. And that's the title of the message today in Jonah. Sometimes he calms them, but sometimes he sends them. And today he sends it. He sends it. And when you look in the text at verse 4, particularly, you see the word hurl in the ESV. The Lord hurled. Now, when you look in the Hebrew, there's a play on words there that we would not get, that the original audience reading this would have gotten, and that is, God stormed the storm of the sea. Again, it's a play on words. God stormed the storm. He came in, he did his work, he brought it, he hurled it, he threw it, and he did it for a purpose. So here's the truth. God is going to bring storms to our lives. He's going to hurl them at us at different times, different seasons, for His good and divine purposes. And we have to know how to have joy in the midst of the storm. How do we remain in joy and in hope and in peace in the midst of the storm? Because while we can pray, calm the storm, God may be saying, no, I'm not going to calm it. I sent it. Learn from it. All right, so let's learn how to have joy in the midst of the storm. You tracking with me? If you look on your worship guide that we have there for you, how to find joy in the storm, there's, there's two ways primarily we can find strength and joy when God sends these storms to us. All right, ready? Number one, we always have to understand God's purpose in sending the storm. We have to understand God's purpose purpose in sending the storm. If we do not understand that God has a purpose, and we don't understand that the Lord can send them as well as He can silence them, then we're going to have theological problems. When everything is not always peace be still, we're going to grapple with grace and say, where are you, Lord? And so it's vital that we understand this, that we grasp this, that we see this. We have to understand the purpose in sending the storm. Now, what I want to show you from Jonah is three results of God sending this storm to Jonah and these sailors. When you look at our text, three results just jump out at me of God sending this storm. You ready? Letter A, under number one. I think one of the first reasons God obviously sends any storm in our life, allows any storm to happen to us, is number one, it's to draw us. To draw us. 
particularly to himself. Now, do you notice as the text opens up, after we read that the Lord stormed the storm with his presence and with his might and hurled this storm at Jonah, verse 5 says what? That the people on the boat suddenly begin to be drawn to a deity. Isn't that interesting? These are Gentiles. They're from Joppa, modern-day Tel Aviv. At that time, it was in the hands of the Philistines, who were enemies of Israel. Remember, Goliath was a Philistine. And so, when Jonah went down to Joppa, he went down to get away from Israel, to get away from the Hebrews. He bought a ship, had it set sail for Spain, Gibraltar, that area, going in the opposite direction, thinking he could leave and protest God who is everywhere. And as Jonah is doing this, this storm comes, and verse 5 says, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Isn't that interesting? You know, they say that there's no atheist in foxholes, and there's no atheist on ships that are sinking either. I mean, you may have firm beliefs of agnosticism and atheism and deconstructionism and communism and every other ism under the sun, but let me tell you, when life meets you and death meets you face to face, a lot of that stuff immediately goes out the window. Because when we're faced with our own mortality, which we deny all of our life, we deny it. Now, our body won't let us deny it fully. It reminds us in the creaking and the bending and the breaking and the graying and the uglying, right? It, it, it reminds us, you're not immortal, but we live our life trying to deny this reality, and yet when we're faced with it, suddenly, oh dear God, oh God help. And that's exactly what these pagans did. One author put it this way, they may have been calling on the wrong God, they may not have known the God of the Hebrews, but they did the right thing. They did the right thing. They did what we all do when we know we've got to go somewhere else besides ourselves. There is no help coming. There is no way we can stop this storm. There is nothing we can do out here in this ocean to save ourselves. It's got to be something beyond us. Now, does God ever bring that to us? Absolutely. You see, he draws us. And sometimes in sending the storm, it draws us back to him. It draws us to seek him, to pray to him, to come back to his place of worship. It's amazing what those moments in our life can do, how God draws us back to him. And why? Why is that? That's human sinful nature. I mean, you would think that just the goodness and the grace of God would draw us to himself. But yet so often that is not enough. We become prideful and arrogant and proud when we are in the best seasons of life. And it takes the storm to bring us back to him. One pastor and theologian put it like this. He said, hardly any religion appears in the world when God leaves us in an undisturbed state. Hardly any religion appears in the world when God leaves us in an undisturbed state. 
But you let the crops fail and the drought come and the hurricane hit and suddenly everybody's talking about God. Everybody's talking about some kind of God. Everybody's thinking religion and God uses these things to draw people to himself, which is exactly what is happening with the mariners. So you see it in verse 5, you see it in verse 6, and even then you see it at the very end. Verse 14, these pagan mariners call out to the God of the Hebrews. They don't want to offend him. They don't know a lot about him. They haven't been schooled in the covenant and in the law. But notice, therefore they, the mariners, called out to the Lord, O Lord, they call him Adonai, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Now, a lot of commentators say, well, did they get saved? Some people think these mariners actually converted right there in the foxhole. Maybe they did. I don't know that I'd go that far. I just know that they called upon the Lord, whether they understood everything or not, it drew them to God. And believe it or not, it's drawing Jonah. Now, he's still got a long way to go. The storm isn't enough for him. It's going to have to be a fish. But trust me, the storm that's being sent is drawing Jonah to God. The storm that God is allowing in your life that he refuses to quiet is drawing you to God. Are you listening? Well, let's go to the next reason why. Understanding God's purpose in sending, it draws us, but letter B, it directs us. It directs us. The Lord sovereignly uses events to make sure that in our foolishness, in our wickedness, in our sin and wrong motivations that we're always on the right path. And I'm so thankful that I serve a God wiser than me and that can correct all my stupid mistakes. And that's what he's doing here. I mean, Jonah's a prophet. Jonah knows something about the, the revelation of God. He knows what God has called him to, go preach to Nineveh. And he doesn't want to do that. He would rather those people in Nineveh die and go to hell than board a boat and go preach to them. And yet, he's preaching, ironically, to these pagan sailors, is he not? <laughs> Whether he realizes it or not, they're figuring all this out. They're learning about the God of the Hebrews from Jonah, whether he says a word or not. But God is directing Jonah. Jonah will not go where the will of God doesn't want him to go. And the Lord has a way of doing that, does he not? He has a way of directing us and making his purposes sure. But look at letter C. Not only does he draw us through the storm, and not only does he direct us to his sovereign, good, purposeful will, but a third reason why we need to understand that it's not always calming storms, sometimes it's sending storms, is this right here. He dissects us, dissects us. All you biology people, you know the value of dissection. And I think so often of Hebrews 4.12, which is the perfect verse in the New Testament on dissection. The verse says, For the word of the Lord is quick and powerful, and sharper than a two-edged sword that cuts or pierces us. The divine asunder rips us apart 
The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the divine asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, God's Word is a scalpel that opens us up and will not leave us alone and dissects us. And if you're a believer, a Christian, a child of God, He's always going to be dissecting you and me. I mean, we're told in Romans chapter 8, we love to quote that all things work together for good, but in 829, we're told that the reason they work for good is because God is conforming us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer, the Lord will not leave you alone. He will draw you, He will direct you, and He will dissect you because his purpose is to conform you to the image of Jesus, and you will never get away from that as long as you breathe on planet Earth. He is never finished with us. So no matter how old we are, how many ailments we have, listen, your ailments, it's a storm. He sent, you needed, I don't know why, but he's dissecting you. He's sanctifying you in Christ Jesus. And let me say a word to anyone who's not a child of God, who is not born again, who is not saved. The Lord may be sending a storm to draw you, pagan, if I may use that word from this text, to himself. He may be bringing a storm to cause you to repent of your sin and run to Jesus today. You see, that's how he works. The Lord needs to dissect this because the truth is we can be perfectly at peace and out of the will of God. One theologian, O. Palmer Robertson, said this. He said, and I want to quote because I thought this was really good, Jonah had plenty of peace. He was sleeping like a baby at the very time he was running from the will of God. You know, people say, you want to know the will of God? Do you have peace? Hey, friends. Jonah had way too much peace. Peace is not always a good indicator of the will of God. Do you think Mary and Joseph, when they could not find an inn for that baby that was about to be born, had peace? Do you think Mary thought, yeah, this is great? No, I mean, if she's a typical mother, she wants to give birth, not in a stable, but in an inn. You know, sometimes people have peace and they think it's okay, and their conscience isn't stirred, and they're not moved, and Jonah is a very good example of this. That's not always the case. I'm not saying you don't listen to the heebie-jeebies and say, well, I mean, I've had good peace. Okay, great. But you know, I'll just be honest. I didn't have peace when I had to move my family to Texas, and I didn't just have this overwhelming peace when I had to move them back. I mean, that's huge. That's stressful. That's a lot but you just do it trusting God is in it, no matter how we feel. Feelings never dominate. They never dictate. Don't trust them. You cannot trust them. They're not meant to lead you. You are meant to lead them, and that's the way life works. So, Jonah had plenty of peace, but what was God doing? Dissecting him, cutting him open, showing him what that really meant. How is God doing it? Sending the storm. You see, sometimes he calms the storms, and sometimes he sends them. 
Now, let's look at a second way to how to have joy when he sends the storms of life. How do we have joy? What do we do? Pastor, what do we do? Well, number one, you understand. He sends them. There's a purpose in sending them. You trust that. But number two, you do this. You understand God's purpose in stirring the storm. He sends it, yes, for good reasons. We've given some of those reasons. But he also stirs us. Stirs us when he sends the storm. And it stirs up. Stirs up the things that are on the bottom. You know, in our swimming pool, I was told by a pool person, and those of you who have degrees in poolology, you might refute this, but I was told by a pool person, they said, it's good if there's dirt at the bottom and you've tried to get it and you can't get it all. It's good for your kids to get in the pool and swim because what does it do to all that at the bottom? Stirs it up. And it'll make it go through your filter. And then it'll be filtered out. So it's good to stir up the water and get what's down there at the bottom that you can't always get up and out. Now, that's what happens when, when the Holy Spirit sends storms, right? He stirs a lot of things up in our heart that's way at the bottom, and things begin to come out. A lot of things begin to come out. And what we see here in this chapter that we're looking at is a lot of things begin to come out in Jonah's heart and in the mariner's hearts. A lot of things begin to be revealed. Now, what are the things that we start seeing revealed, stirred up? Well, letter A under number two, it reveals a false revelation of God. Now, the word revelation, I'm not talking about the book of revelation. The word revelation means to unveil or uncover. And so, what God has done throughout human history is He has made Himself known to us. He has revealed himself. If God had never taken the initiative to come to humanity and uncover, reveal himself, we would not know God. We would be like those people that perhaps we mock or laugh at who worship sticks and stones and inanimate objects. You see, the reason we are not worshiping inanimate objects or the sun or the moon or astrology or anything else is because God in his graciousness came down to man from the very beginning of Genesis and revealed himself. And that's what he's been doing all through human history, revealing, revealing, showing you who he is, learning more and more about him and what he expects, and what he says. His ultimate revelation was Jesus Christ, the Son, who came in flesh to reveal God to us, and explain God to us, and help us understand God. He is not an inanimate object. He is not unknowable. He has revealed himself. Now, what Jonah knew about God, about Yahweh, about Jehovah, about the Lord, Jonah's understanding of God and his practice of God and religion were totally opposite of one another. You see, what we see happening is that Jonah is, is being revealed that he has this false understanding of God. Everything he knew about God was being challenged. I mean, go to verse 9 and just see. They ask him, why is this storm coming upon us and what does he say? 
He said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He knows that God. Now, if he really knows that God of the Old Testament, then he's also going to know that that God loves the nations. Anyone who ever tells you that the God of the Old Testament is not missions-minded, they do not understand the very plain reading of the Old Testament. God, from the beginning, always cares about nations. One of the things that He does for the nations is He makes Israel a kingdom of priests. If you've ever wondered, why did God choose Israel? That's so so unfair. He chose them to be priests to the rest of the world. He chose them to be a light to the rest of the world, to be missionaries to the rest of the world. Now, they failed that calling, but he didn't give up. And many times he would send prophets like Amos, who would preach to other nations, like Jonah, who would preach to Iraq, the enemy of Israel. God loved other nations. He always did. Now, sometimes when, when he would send his prophets to preach to these other nations, he would, he would, you know, tell them of judgment because he cared about them. Otherwise, he'd just judge them. Sometimes it was about their future to give them hope. And even sometimes it was about unethical Israel and how Israel was a bad testimony to them about himself. And so God would always preach to the nations. He would preach to Egypt in the Bible If you've ever read your Old Testament and you say, why is this all about Egypt in this whole chapter in Isaiah? Because God loved Egypt. Even the Egyptians that enslaved his people, he loved them. And he had a word for them. And he had hope to them. Now, Jonah should have known that. See, the God that Jonah worshipped had clearly revealed himself that he loved all of the nations. And yet, what do we see stirred up in Jonah's heart? Jonah is saying, really, God, this is unethical and this is unfair. It's unethical. You need to be worried about your people. There are plenty of prophets that have been preaching in Israel and they have been rejected and rejected and rejected and they haven't seen any repentance Why aren't you dealing with them, God? This is unethical. Deal with your own people. It's unfair. I mean, can you imagine that Jonah is so scared God is going to be successful? Have you ever been fearful that God would actually answer your prayers and be successful? Do you realize what success will mean to Jonah? That God is going to save this nation of pagans? Well, what about my home people of Israel? I mean, how am I going to go back to them and be the prophet that saved our enemy? I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. You see, Jonah's understanding of God wasn't right. And there may be some things in our life, beloved, that we think we understand about God and we don't. Our revelation of God is off. If we are all about us and not about them, our revelation of God is off. If we cannot think beyond our walls and our border, then our revelation of God is off. And it might be that God is going to send storms to us to stir us up, to bring us to the place where we're confronted. You know, we're faithful. We're just not faithful to God. 
we're faithful to our own beliefs about God, but we're not faithful to God. Let me go on. Next thing it stirs up, letter B, it tests our relationship. It tests our relationship. It certainly did that with Jonah. Look at verse 7. They said to one another, Come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. Now what you see in this whole first chapter, Jonah never says a word. He's silent. Completely silent. I mean, here, all these things are happening, and these mariners are saying, what's going on? And this guy knows the truth, but he's not going to say anything. He's just going to sit there. You see, he finally talks in verse 9, but it takes all the way to verse 9 for this guy to actually speak. And not just talking, notice Jonah never prays. I mean, here's a prophet of God running from God in the midst of life and death, and he never says a word, and he never prays out to God. But they are praying to God, are they not? I mean, notice the mariners were afraid. Verse 6, the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Man, isn't it something when pagans know more than prophets? I mean, the pagan had to come to the prophet and say, would you please pray? Would you please pray? And would you please say something because we're all about to die? You see what it's stirring up in his heart? It's stirring up that not only does he have the wrong revelation of God, but he doesn't really have a good relationship with God. And God will send the storms in our life to stir these things up in us as well. Two more quick things. Letter C, it exposes where we run, where we run. And I just want to point this out. Jonah was asleep. You go back to verse 6 and verse 5. You look at the very end of verse 5. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. And you might say, well, how could he be sleeping in a storm? I believe this was his escape. This was where he ran. And come on, we do this too, don't we? How many people run from reality? And they run to drugs, they run to pornography, they run to liquor, they run to all kinds of things, and they just deny, deny, deny reality. And we look at them and say, what is the problem? And you hear people say, that's just, they're, they're coping it's a coping mechanism. They're living in denial because they're coping. You know what I think? I think Jonah was sleeping because he was coping. Now, it wasn't a good coping, but he was running, and this was his escape. I'm just going to sleep, I'm going to ignore, and I'm going to pretend that I'm not really trying to escape, and that's exactly what he's doing here. How do you deal with pain? What do you run to? See, storms will reveal what you run to. He runs to sleep. Last thing, it examines our responsibility. It examines our responsibility. It could be, and I want to continue to say, it's not always, but it could be that God sends the storm and we bear a measure of responsibility. 
See, sometimes he calms the storms, and sometimes he sends them, and when he sends them, how do we find joy in the midst of the storm? Well, Jonah bore responsibility for this, did he not? I mean, they find out it's his fault when they cast lots, and then in verse 12, He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know that it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. I know it's because of me that this has come upon you. You see, Jonah bore responsibility. But the irony is, why didn't he just hurl himself over the ship? Why did he tell them to do it? Jonah, all you have to do is jump. They don't have to throw you over. All you have to do is jump. But he wouldn't even do that. He wouldn't pray. He wouldn't talk to God. He wouldn't do anything in his actions. And he wouldn't even jump. Because so many times, we don't really want to admit we're the problem. We don't want to admit the fault is with us. And so we live in this denial I am amazed how deceptive I am to my own life and how other people are deceived by their sin as well. We tend to just ignore the obvious. That's why we need other believers in our life to speak truth to us. That's why we need to be in church. Church is not a a comfortable place all the time to come and sit. It's a place to be refined where people can speak into your life and say, you know, you really do have a gossip problem. Or, you know, you're pretty negative. Or, you know, honestly, the way we're acting about this is wrong. See, nowhere else is going to tell you the truth. The club you go to, the buddies you hang with, even your work, everybody's got to be politically correct. This is the one place where we ought to confess sin to one another and speak the truth in love, in love, and refine each other. And, And this was where Jonah was, no responsibility. Hey, how many people have we hurt? Because we refused to seek responsibility. How many people have we damaged because we refused to hear God, we refused to listen, we refused to heed, we refused to stop? You see, all this gets stirred up when God sends storms. So sometimes He calms the storms. And sometimes he sends them. And if you and I want to have joy in the storm, we have to understand God's purpose in sending it. And we have to understand what it stirs up in our life. So let me end and ask this. What is God sending and stirring in our life? What is he sending and stirring in our life? The best thing we can do is be humble and say, all right, Lord, You've sent the storm. You're you're not calming it today. Now, maybe he'll calm it. Maybe you pray, Lord, would you calm the storm? But if he doesn't, then maybe you ought to pray, okay, I'm listening. I want to hear. I want to hear. Would you bow your heads where you are? Would the musicians make their way on up and come and just begin to play? And I just want to give you the opportunity quietly to say, okay, Lord, are you sending a storm? Are you calming or are you sending? And what are you doing in my life today? And whatever God is doing, I hope that you'll respond to him. I hope you'll listen to him. Jonah eventually will listen. Not right now, but he'll, 
come to that place. And let's hope it doesn't go that far for us, for me, for you, for our church, right? Let's listen. Father, we just pray that the message has spoken and the word of God has gone forth and you have blessed. And we pray your people have heard it and they've been sanctified by it. They've been blessed by it. Father, I pray for anyone who's lost, who's running from you as well. They're running. They, they don't know the one true God. They've heard the gospel today in this chapter and in this sermon. And I pray that they would understand maybe God's storming their life to draw them to himself. And I pray they would come today. I pray they would come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If you need to come and seek prayer or counsel, you're welcome to do that. This altar is open. We have counselors that will pray with you. Just say, Lord, whatever you're sending or calming, I want to praise you for it. Let's sing. Brandon.